Well, hello, and thanks for listening in to our weekly teaching podcast here at City Church. We are a church in the Knoxville area that seeks to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you're in Knoxville or ever visiting Knoxville, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people here in the city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com slash give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can drop us a line at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. What's going on, church family? All right, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Marcus Williamson, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and specifically, I'm one of the lay pastors here at City Church. Now, I know that can be a little confusing because not too many people hear the word lay pastor. Um, So basically what that means is that while I do stuff here, while I do various things here at City Church, my full-time job is actually working on UT's campus as one of their graphic designers. So that's what I do in addition to. So especially if you're a college student, I would love to meet you and hear your story sometime, either after church or sometime on campus. Just let me know. So If you are new this week, we are in a series called I Just Can't Believe. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the the problem is all too familiar, right? You've you've read the articles about how churches and Christians are out of touch with the world. You've kind of heard the podcast about how Christianity needs a facelift and how it needs to reinvent or remarket itself if it's going to survive. How it's a tool for manipulation or, or for holding people back from being happy. And behind all these perspectives is a common assumption, the assumption that there are just too many hang-ups and objections to Christianity as it stands, that there are just too many hoops to jump through, that there are just too many difficult ideas to swallow. And if we're honest, for many of us, we've kind of felt these objections in ourselves, right, whether we would probably like to admit it or not. And others of us have encountered, like, friends, family, colleagues, um, people who, who don't follow after Jesus and have these types of objections. So the past few weeks in our series, we, we've talked about the reasonableness of Christianity and the authority of the Bible. And today we're going to talk about the lightest subject of all, how God could allow this much suffering. It's very light. Um, and I think I can speak for most of us, right? Like, Suffering is everywhere you turn. It really is. And, and in many ways, it's unavoidable. So CNN, Fox News, Twitter, Mashable, Snapchat, Amber Alerts, YouTube, and yes, even TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, that's okay. Don't worry about it. So whatever your form of media, chances are you've been made aware of the sufferings of life through its lens. It, it can be overwhelming at times. And on a more personal note, being black here in America, and even more so here in Tennessee, has me so dialed in into the reality of the sufferings of this world. Now, whether you put much stock in it, racial tensions continue to be an ongoing discussion, and, and it's something that I constantly see on social media, on news outlets, and in my day-to-day life. So. With that light intro, I think we need some prayer, right? I think we're going to need some prayer for this because we're going to need the Spirit to move. We're going to need the Spirit to do work in all of us. So let me pray, and we'll go from there. Hey, Jesus, um, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much for your love for us. Um, 
I just want to pray for every heart in here, in this room right now, Lord, for our church family, that, that you would help them to be able to um, process through what we're going to speak about today, that, that if they have objections, that you would help them through this sermon, that if they have colleagues or if they have friends or if they have family members um, that have similar objections, that you would help them to process so much so that they can be able to speak to them well. Lord, for the new people in the room, I pray that you would also do the same thing, that you would help them to be able to, um, yeah, just really process through this sermon. Lord, and help me, Spirit, help me to speak clearly, to um, speak boldly, and to, um, yeah, just help my nerves as, as I preach. You know, I pray. Amen. So before we start, I just want to say this one thing. The sermon today will no doubt be for those of us in this room that have suffered, most definitely. But I want to make a few distinctions. We are all, to some degree or another, sufferers, or we will eventually be sufferers. Now, if you're here and you have gone through a difficult season of suffering or most recently been through a season of suffering, I pray uh, that you will find some some of this helpful, but just as a heads up, today's sermon is actually going to be geared towards those who are uh, geared towards more of wrestling with an intellectual uh, viewpoint of the question of how could God allow suffering? Does that make sense? So if you are suffering today, if you, if you are going through a season of suffering and, and you feel kind of overwhelmed by it, know that we would love nothing more than to hear your story. Feel free to grab me, one of the other pastors here, uh, one of the leaders in the back. Feel free to grab us after this sermon or any time during the week. We would love to come and talk to you. Also know that there are different um, suffering sermons that we have done already on our website, so feel free to listen to that as well. So with that being said, I would like to talk to us about three common questions that people might have about suffering whether they've been through it um, or whether you've had friends that have been through it, uh, and try to answer them through the lens of the Bible. So question number one, why would God create suffering? Why would God create suffering? So in Genesis 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And in the midst of all the chaos, he created order. And after each day, which is about a paragraph in your Bibles, it says that, and God saw that it was good. So the Bible would say that God created a world that was actually good and very good at that. So many, many who would ask the question or point to God as the one who created suffering, we would say that that's actually not how it went down. But that still leaves the question, right? That still leaves the question of how did suffering enter the picture in the first place? I know for many of you that have grown up in the church um, or at least heard of the story, Genesis 3 actually explains how suffering uh, came to enter the picture. So in the process of creating the world, God creates all of these trees. He creates all these different types of trees uh, with all different types of fruit. And he tells the man and woman, he says, hey, you can eat all of this. Like, you, you, all of this right here you can have. This one tree over here, though... Like, don't, don't eat from that. Don't, all of this, don't eat from that, okay? We, we got it? Okay. So, parents in the room, let me, let me just pause. Y'all know 
exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like, you tell your kid, you say, look, I bought all these toys for you to play with. They're all right here. Don't touch the stove. Please don't. It's hot. You don't want to touch it. It could be really bad for you. Toys good. Stove bad. Right? Like, Toys good, stove bad. Or even, like, some of you mothers in the room, you probably know about this. Like, don't touch mommy's bracelet. Do not touch it. It is precious to mommy. Your G-ma gave it to me. So don't touch it. Don't touch it. Please. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't even have to keep going. So after God says to not eat from the tree, the man and woman, they do just that. So they are enticed by a serpent to, to eat from a tree that they should not eat from. He only needs to kind of nudge them in a direction, to kind of doubt what the Lord had told them. He says, like, did God really say that about the tree? Like, are you sure he said that about the tree? I mean, I don't know. Seems to me that God doesn't want you to be happy. So, after he convinces her, let's check out what it says in Genesis 3, 6. It says this, So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Now let's pause. Church family, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. If you ever see someone in the family just casually making conversation with a talking snake, I'm going to need you to politely interrupt them, just say, excuse me, I just don't want to, let me just interrupt this conversation right here, and then I'm just going to need you to start stomping the mess out of that snake, okay? Like, ask questions later, don't even. New people in the room, one thing that we as a church will commit to you is that we will protect you from talking snakes. Also new people in the room, we do not have snakes here. We are not that type of church. All right, back to it. So, when the man and woman follow after their own desires and disregard what God had said about eating from the tree, that, that is the beginning of sin entering the picture. And God's good and beautiful design is corrupted. So, as sin enters the picture, so does corruption. As sin enters the world, so does betrayal, so does murder, affairs, sinful anger, polygamy, abuse, backstabbing. As sin enters the world, so does suffering. So, so we, not God, brought sin into the world. Let me say that again for the people in the back. We were the culprits who hijacked God's good and beautiful design for the world. See, God created order out of chaos. And we brought chaos back into the world. 
We brought sin into the picture, not God. And sadly, one of the effects of sin is suffering. Now, you might be thinking, wait, me? Like, hold on, lay pastor Marcus. Like, I know what lay pastor means now, so hold on. I thought that story was about Adam and Eve. And you would be right. You would be right. But the way the story reads, is its point isn't just to say that Adam and Eve did this, you know, once upon a time in a garden somewhere. No, it, its point is that we do it too. Yeah, sure, it happened back then, but it still happens today in a million different ways and a billion different people. See, it's very easy to point the finger uh, and say that suffering is caused by everyone else. Very easy. But if we're honest, we also cause suffering. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I blew up at my wife for something stupid. It was stupid, y'all. It was very stupid. And caused her to be sad. Now, we were able to reconcile pretty quickly. Holy Spirit did all of that. But still, I sinned against her. And there have been countless times that I have sinned against her, both big and small. And I feel like if we're honest, we've all been in similar situations, yeah? We all have either big or small examples of, of sin that, uh, that we have caused um, or suffering that we have caused people. Yeah. So the point of the story of Adam and Eve is to say that this is a story of humanity. We all do this constantly. We don't just sin one time and, uh, you know, go back to being the best versions of ourselves. Like, that, that's not a thing. Um, matter of fact, actually, let's do this. Quick show of hands. How many, how many of y'all have been sinned against this week or this month? Okay, a few of y'all, okay. The rest of y'all have perfect friends. I figured, okay, I knew y'all have perfect friends. Talk to me after. I'll probably want some of those perfect friends. But yeah, keep them up. Actually, keep those hands up real quick. Let me see your hands real quick. All right, love it. Thank you. All right, so think about this now. You got those people in your mind? All right, don't keep them there too long. Might need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. But um, here's the less fun part for you. There are probably plenty of people who, if, if they were here right now, would also raise their hands at that. And they probably will be talking about you, if we're honest. <laughs> they probably will be talking about you, right? Now, don't look around the room, because they may be in the room too, but just don't, don't look around the room. You're good. Don't do that. All right, you can put your hands up. All right, so... Just so you know, we sin against each other constantly. And, and when you take one, you know, the tiniest, the tiniest action of one person, and you multiply that by, say, six billion people, give or take, what you get is a world filled with suffering. So the point is, is that God didn't cause suffering. We did it. But... That raises another question, right? Why isn't God doing something about suffering? Why isn't God doing something about suffering then? See, it's, 
it's very easy to look at suffering and wonder, hey, where is God in the midst of this? Like, I get that, you know, the whole humanity brought sin into the world thing. Sure. But why isn't he doing something about it right now? Like, there is a ton of suffering in the world. Where is God? Does he not care? I hear you. I hear you on that. Well, the Bible would actually say that he is doing something about it. First, he made himself a victim to suffering. Let's check out Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. God himself is no stranger to the reality of suffering. You see, Jesus, Jesus came down from heaven in order to take our sins so that the healing process could begin. Like Kent said last week, Jesus came to earth to serve and not be served. Even though he had every right to be served. Even though he could have easily demanded it. Even though so many were anticipating him to come down and reign like a king out the gate. But Jesus flipped the script. He flipped the script and was born into this world. Think about that for a second. Like, King Jesus, creator of the world, infinite power. And yet, was born into this world, into the chaos that we created. And eventually, he would be crushed for our sins. See, there were definitely easier routes, definitely easier routes for, for someone with infinite power to take. But God didn't take any of those. He could have, yeah, sure. But that's not how it went down. If Jesus had been all-powerful and come down like expected, we'd have, we would have never been able to relate to him. Instead, he went through life with, with all the ups and downs that life consists of. There's actually a moment um, in Jesus' life where one of his friends dies. Um, and even though he knew he was going to bring him back from the dead, he still was in the moment. He still felt the emotions of sorrow from losing a friend. The Bible says, and I quote, that Jesus wept for his friend. And there are various times throughout the, the Gospels and throughout the Bible that give account of how Jesus had compassion on people because he knew that the world the Father created was in disarray. He knew he was the only one that could truly help 
Jesus knew that this world would never start the healing process unless he took on the sins of the whole world upon himself so that we could be back in right relationship with the Father. See, Jesus suffered for our sake. He took the weight of the world on his shoulders for our sake. He, he started the healing process for our sake. Jesus was then, yeah, he did all of that for our sake. See, Jesus was in heaven. He was, he was in perfect company. He was good, right? Like he was chilling up there. Trust me, he was good. Promise you. But he came down for you and me. He came down for us. He came down to suffer for our sake. In Jesus, God experienced the greatest depths of pain. He suffered both physically and mentally. Physically, he went to the cross in one of the most excruciating violent acts in the history of humanity. But he also suffered psychologically because through it all, Jesus experienced relational separation from the Father. A Father that he had perfect relationship with since from the beginning of the world. Jesus knew that in order to rescue humanity, he would have to take on the sins of the whole world, but he also knew that once he did that, he would also be separated from the Father. So when Jesus was on the cross and cries out in Matthew 26, 27, 46, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Kind of gives us a window into how much pain Jesus was actually in. When Jesus came to earth, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew he was going to die for our sins. He knew the end game at the very beginning. But still, Jesus came on a rescue mission for you and me, for his creation. He was not about to leave us in chaos. He wasn't going to do that. He wanted to restore order. And through Jesus, he paid for our sins so that someday... He could end evil and suffering once and for all. See, for followers of Jesus, we look to the cross for hope. God is not immune to our suffering. He's not detached or indifferent to our conditioning like many would try to claim and believe. God takes our suffering very seriously. And through Jesus, he actually relates to our suffering. And you know what else? You know what the beautiful part about all of this is? It doesn't stop with Jesus' death and resurrection. Because now, as followers of Jesus, we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to help continue the healing process that Jesus started so long ago. We get to help alleviate suffering for others um, and also to live in such a way to not regularly contribute to the suffering of others. For example, when Jesus told his followers that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, can you imagine how much suffering would decrease if everyone in the world lived by that one command? Like if we, if we take this one command seriously, there would be less murdering, there would be less abuse, there would just be less sinning in general um, against one another. See, God didn't just stop with Jesus he continues on through his spirit in us to help, to help work towards a time when there will be no more suffering and no more crying. There is no more poetic way to say this than Revelation 21. Let's check it out. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He would dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Some of you all need to hear that right now. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This, for followers of Jesus, is is what we look forward to one day in the future. This is the hope for those who have been suffering. That it would one day end permanently. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I believe anyone can get on board with not having to suffer and mourn ever again, right? Even if it sounds like a fairy tale. If you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, even if it sounds like a fairy tale, I, I feel like you can get on board with not wanting to ever have to cry or mourn again. So the answer to our second question is that that God is doing something about suffering, and his name is Jesus. But still, that leaves one last question. Why does God allow suffering to continue now? Like, why, why does God do that? Because if, if God says he has a plan, you know, to do with, away with all the suffering completely in the new heavens and new earth, why doesn't he do it now? Why let people continue to suffer? Why let people continue to, to cry and to mourn and to hurt? Why not put an end to it right now? Why is the Lord doing something slowly? when clearly he has all the power to do it now. Well, it turns out that that is actually a question that Second Peter answers for us directly. Let's check it out. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Peter here is referring to, to God's plan to alleviate suffering and bring about his kingdom that is suffering free. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the reason that God doesn't, doesn't go ahead and bring about the new heavens and the new earth is because he wants more and more people to come to know him. It says that he doesn't wish that anyone should perish. Instead, he wants all to turn from their way of doing life to doing life his way, the way he designed it, before all of the chaos hit. Remember what we said in the beginning, that that suffering exists because of sin, and sin is in each and every one of us. So if God were to put an end to suffering right now, that means he would need to put an end to us right now. That's the simplest solution. But rather, God, God would rather provide people with the opportunity to repent, to, to cease trusting in themselves, to cease, to cease going about life selfishly, and to come to know him and to follow him. 
So he, want, he wants more people to experience their life that is found in him. So while we may sometimes think it's cool of God to allow suffering to go on, it's actually quite the opposite. It's the most compassionate response that you could have. It's him being patient and wanting more and more people to repent. Now, maybe that answers the question intellectually, but I realize it it may sound a little cold um, at a personal level. So let me just let me just wrap up this way and the band actually you can come on up. Believer in the room. Um, can I give you some medicine real quick? Let me give you some medicine. Uh, Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that will destroy you. He, he took on your sin so that you could be in right relationship with the Father. Like I said before, he's, he's telling us to have patience. Be patient because I am coming back. And I will wipe away every tear. You will not cry again because sin will be no more. There will be no more abuse. There will be no more catastrophe. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more cancer. Family, there will be no more crying. See, for us, we can, we can wrestle with suffering because we have a hope that the world will once again be in order. We have a God who cares because even though he knows the ending, he is still near to us during our lowest moments. Remember, Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the moment didn't escape him. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I'll say it again, family. We have a God who cares. For those in the room um, or listening to the podcast that would say that you are not a Christian, someone who follows after Jesus, I just want to ask you a few simple questions. When suffering hits, how, how do you get through it? How will you explain it? Because I believe life at some point will will force you to have some type of philosophy of suffering. It just will. And, And when it does, how will you find hope to sustain you through the worst moments of your life? See, my hope is that you would one day know the Lord for yourself. To glimpse at his word and to find hope that so many of us in this room find hope in. Like Kent said in week one, following after Jesus can be a leap. It certainly can. And I don't know what your hang-up is or, or what. Maybe, you know, you'll, you'll feel like your friends will desert you. Maybe, maybe your family will desert you if you start following after Jesus. But you will gain a new family and new friends who follow after the same Jesus. See, we believe that it's a leap worth taking. 
The Bible doesn't give pat answers to suffering. It doesn't say something simple and foolish like if you live a good life, you won't suffer or, or you're suffering because you're doing something wrong. Other religions teach that. But Christianity doesn't. Here's what Christianity gives us. It, it gives us a promise that even when we do suffer, we won't suffer alone. That, that we have a God who suffers alongside of us and with us. And short of God removing suffering from the picture completely, which he will do one day, we believe that's the most incredible thing you could ask for. Let's pray. Lord, um, again, we thank you for this time, this time to be able to, to wrestle with um, suffering, to wrestle with the, that, the, everything that goes into it, Lord. All the different questions and everything that we have, Lord, I just pray that you would Help us wrestle with it well. Lord, if we, if we need to, if we need to talk to someone today, if we need to go to the back and talk to one of the pastors or one of the leaders, Lord, just pray that um, you, you would use your spirit to, to prompt and to nudge and to help them to be able to talk through this well, Lord. If, if we need to talk to, the, talk to our people in our life groups, Lord, help us to do that as well. Whoever we need to talk to, Lord, help us to go in that direction. Help us to not stuff it down like we have probably done so many times before. Lord, I pray that you continue to work through this series for our people, for your glory. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. As many of you guys know, we are in the process of renovating and moving into a historic church building located on the Tennessee River right in the heart of Knoxville. If you regularly benefit from this podcast, we would love to extend the invite to you to consider giving to those renovations. If you're interested in finding out more, head to citychurchknox.com slash building.